I think we're going to see a lot of more entrepreneurial people out there who are more hunt to kill type of people instead of grazers that just worker bees like in the, in the company, which I love. That's going to make more people not only in control of their lives, but it's going to make the economy even stronger. Did I just get called a grazer? When did that become a thing? This show is all about separating hype from fundamental change. I'm Paul Jarley, Dean of the College of Business here at UCF. I've got lots of questions. To get answers, I'm talking to people with interesting insights into the future of business. Have you ever wondered, is this really a thing? On to our show. My sense is in talking to a lot of faculty and editors that submissions to journals in terms of research were down during the pandemic. And I think part of it was because people didn't have access to subjects like they might normally have mm. if they were doing certain kinds of research. Mm-hmm. Some of it, I think, was just the general angst people had. And then maybe third, people didn't get together in groups maybe as much. Yeah. And to the extent that sometimes <laughs> ideas come out of group conversations. And then it got me thinking as to whether or not there's sort of a similar phenomenon with respect to innovation and entrepreneurship. To answer that fuzzy question, I assembled today's panel of experts. Caroline Castillo is a UCF grad, a finalist in the 2014 version of the Joust, and a serial entrepreneur. Cameron Ford is the founding director of the Center for Entrepreneurial Leadership at UCF and an associate professor in our Department of Management. Caroline Dykes-Loge is Director of Programs and Operations at the UCF Innovations District and Incubation Program. And Dr. Michael Pape is the Dr. Phillips Entrepreneur-in-Residence in the Department of Management and serves as the Director of the Upstart Student Venture Accelerator at UCF. Mike, let's start with you. Did innovation go up or down as a result of the pandemic? One way that we measure innovation, which is a new way to do things, at least with a solid metric, uh, is patent submissions. So I was interested in this, been reading about this. And if you look at patent submissions, they kept going up and up and up. The USPTO, the US Patent Trademark Office, you know, they publish all these stats every year. If you look through, they started the plateau in 2016, interestingly enough. And the yeah. yeah, and they've stayed pretty flat. But that's sort of a gross, that's a gross aggregate obviously. And that's just U.S., but I did see that in other countries, they had actually an increase in the number of patent applications, depending, again, what's your point of reference as you try to interpret this. Uh, But one interesting thing that came out since, you know, I went to University of Chicago, I get some of the publications and read a paper put out by um, some of the researchers there. They published a paper in American Economic Association Journal. They looked at the number of patents that were filed were related to work from home. So they looked for key, they looked at 3.5 million patents from 2010 to 2021. And they used the keywords remote, work from home, et cetera, et cetera. And then they uh, looked at the number that of patents that had increased, you know, the number of patents per year. And they found that there was an average like 0.5% of all patents were related to that as the baseline. And then when 2020, 2021 hit, it more than doubled. Mm. And so it was people. So is that innovation or is it people who are just sitting on those patents? Of course, that's difficult to know. Mm -hmm. So was there an increase in innovation or was it just people moving forward? Caroline, what's your perspective? BC, before COVID, 
to me, there was a collective lack of appreciation for the technology innovations and the capability of technologies that we all have at our fingertips before then. We just took it for granted, it, you know, kind of these, not always incremental, but it just, it kind of, you know, creeped up in our lives and we got used to it and we learned what we had to learn, how to use technology. And so that was one thing. Second, to me, there was a pretty, and it's human nature that there's pretty generally when you, when you look at a problem or you experience a problem, you, you see it from a very self-centered, self-focused perspective and with little appreciation for the shared humanity that has the same problem pretty often. We just don't tend to, in general, think about other populations, other countries, other people don't think that way in general. And the incentive and the, the view that there was great potential and therefore a motivation to take the risk we, we know we, we've always had entrepreneurs, right? But there was an interesting dynamic to me that happened during COVID in the number of people willing to, to take some risk after a certain time in the pandemic. Do you think it went up or down, Carolyn? It went down and then it shot back up. Why do you think that's true? Think back to, to what happened in spring of 2020 and everybody globally just we were all thrown into such massive change massive uncertainty about life as we thought we knew it that it became about just surviving and it was hard for anybody for, for most it was hard to feel secure enough to take that risk and to unless you were getting unless you already had a job where that's what you had to do you know you're, you're working for a company like Moderna and you know you got a problem and you got the money to pour into it but I, so this is more of an in, individual innovator entrepreneur perspective but even companies too because a lot of our companies in the incubator it, we quickly switched our focus to coaching and advising and supporting them in growth to supporting them in survival and and many cases that meant downsizing and all of that and reducing risk even more, not taking risk. But after a point in time, once they got a feel for, all right, this is our, this is our new world, right? It's a, we don't know how long this is, clearly it's gonna go on for a while. We don't know how long we've right-sized, we've got our cash flow under control. We've found some new opportunities. How do we how do we move forward then? And we had entrepreneurs coming to us during all this that had they all of a sudden they saw an opportunity, right? For something that they'd been thinking about and realized there's a whole lot of people that have this problem. And ideas that individuals had had or companies had had for products and services, to Mike's comment, that related to virtual meetings and work from home, remote workers, off-site workforce, virtual companies pretty much all of a sudden they realized now's the time. And I just think the awareness of global population in general of technology was heightened plus an awareness that we're all humans. We all had a shared experience. I've not seen anything else like that in my lifetime where truly it was a global shared experience and that just changes the way you see things well necessity was certainly the mother of invention during COVID. Mm -hmm. right? i remember talking to lorette on my advisory board who sits on a number of corporate boards 
and she she talked about Papa John's decision to go to contactless delivery. And she said, in normal times, we would have debated that for like two years before we entered that, right. that space. Yeah. And we did it in about 30 minutes. Yeah. And that's and the it, other thing that came to mind. I was thinking about earlier and I forgot. It's that we, we proved that innovation doesn't have to take so long. Well, we saw this in our own world. Imagine, Cameron, how much debate we would have had in the pre-COVID environment about having a significant percentage of our courses on Zoom. We'd still be debating that. There's a real old joke attributed to someone who is on the board of trustees at Duke, who said if he was driving down the road and he heard that the world was gonna end today, that he would immediately drive to Durham, North Carolina because everything happens a year later there. (laughs) (laughs) But I remember being in a meeting with our provost when the pandemic was just starting saying, well, you know, we might have to consider in six or seven weeks that we might have to go to an alternate contactless form of delivery for higher ed. And that happened like a day and a half late. And we just turned the switch and we just decided to live with that for a while. Not at the time we thought maybe it'd be a week or a month or maybe a couple of months. And it turned out to be a lot longer than that. But yeah, to your point, Caroline, I mean, mm-hmm. I think things that we thought we couldn't do, we learned how to do really fast. I think it's an important distinction. I think that speaks to both what Caroline and, and Mike have been talking about is a distinction between invention and innovation. Yeah. Because uh, invention is like a, actually coming up with a creative solution. And like Mike said, like they came up with the technology for MRNA vaccines quite a while ago. This innovation is usually measured in terms of diffusion and use of inventions. And that's usually where entrepreneurs contribute. They don't typically invent something that's completely new. They're the ones that help to provide it to the market and make it more available. And so I think the dynamic going into COVID probably had less to do with the pace of invention than it did with like windows of opportunities slamming down and other ones sliding up really fast, right? It's like suddenly just something just couldn't happen. Bam, window goes down. And now it's like people are looking around trying to figure out what innovations are available that we might be able to use to still get stuff done. And so vaccinations, you know, almost a miraculous kind of pace of delivery on those. There were existing fairly large scale delivery services. Those things, you know, were able to be scaled up even further to help a lot of restaurants stay in business. And, the, and But the invention part does kind of come back again at the back end of that, because when those windows slammed shut, you know, Mike referenced some like some restaurants and stuff that completely had to pivot. Um, and they have to figure out how to make do with what you have. Is there, we can't do what we used to do, but we have a lot of resources and we have some skills. What else could we do with those things to still create value? The pace of invention probably didn't change a lot in those, you know, before times and the during times, uh, but the rate of uh, adoption greatly accelerated in certain areas around medical technology, drone use, you know, delivery services, uh, you know, uh, software service things that facilitated people working from home, working on projects together. A lot of things like that just blew up. Listen to Caroline talk about windows slamming shut and opening with two of her companies, B-Steps, which sells dance shoes, and Flight Path, which markets a high-tech golf tee. It was rough for the dance market, let me tell you. On the marketing side, were people actually dancing? Uh, not really. <laughs> not, ex- not in the ways that we used to market to, which was 
Uh, you could dance anywhere and people love to go to dance festivals. They love to go to the club, whatever. And you can wear these shoes anywhere. That's our value prop, right? It has all the performance features, et cetera. Not a lot of people were buying. So um, we said, hey, we're going to pivot and we're going to offer classes online. So we have about 30 influencers plus, and we booked a dance class every week with our influencers. And that was one big pivot that did help to bring sales in until COVID, you know, resolved itself. And then we started, you know, selling a lot of shoes again. Going up, I mean, for flight path, one of the reasons why we were able to sell a golf tee and sell so much of it so fast in its first year was because people were playing golf more. There is a huge increase in golf. This is hard for me to say because I haven't gotten used to this idea yet. But my grandson, okay, I actually have two. I still make them call me Dean Jarley because I don't want to be called grandpa, right? But uh, <laughs> <laughs> everybody <laughs> under the age of 18 has to call me Dean Jarley. So that's what oh I mean. Oh my goodness. Oh, uh, wow. But Henry is an avid golfer because to your point, all of like kids' sports were shut down except for golf. So there's been this like enormous increase in golf among like seven to 10 year olds. Yes. It's crazy. Yes. How, how, how much? So, you know, good product at the right time. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, there. It's crazy um, how, how much like any golfer will invest into something that will make them incrementally better. Well, let me go through four factors that I think have kind of defined the post-pandemic environment. And I'd like each of you to comment on whether or not you think they had a meaningful or and or lasting impact. Has, has uh, the increase in liquidity led to more deals, more deal flow, more encouragement for entrepreneurship? Less doesn't matter. Caroline? Absolutely more. I, in investment groups that never would have talked to us before, from Nevada, from New York, from Boston, from Atlanta, from Texas, from California. I think part of it is because all of a sudden, like Florida's this big bright spotlight out there, you know? Companies are flocking to Florida, brings that, brings in investment attention. And we're getting inquiries from groups that never would have talked to us before. Uh, and where we have clients, a, a record number of clients, I would say, that are securing investment cap equity investment. Caroline's company, Clickable Impact, is even taking equity positions in firms in place of payment for services. Um, so, uh, so Clickable Impact is a social media marketing agency. Um, one of our top services is email on performance, where we do email and text message marketing for a percentage of revenue for e-commerce stores. So very niche service. And then the only th other thing we do is we just do special partnerships or JVs with different companies. We might invest into them, uh, own a piece, or just be a service provider where we have some kind of skin in the game. Maybe it's- You will take an equity uh, position as part of a service contract? Yes. So Cameron, another source of um, financial resources for a lot of small businesses, home equity. Did, did unrealized gains in the housing market result in more small business startup? Do you think that had an impact or will have an impact over the next year or not? 
well, over the next years, it'll be hard to say because obviously they're raising interest rates dramatically and with the intent of trying to flatten out housing prices and, and make loans more expensive. So that home equity thing may be kind of more of a blip than anything uh, longer term that people can count on. Uh, obviously, the, the folks that Mike and I are uh, working with, our students, uh, tend to not be homeowners and have that as an <laughs> asset to draw from. So I don't have a lot of insight into that. I did want to just echo though what, what uh, Carol Ann was saying about the uh, uh, risk capital investment uh, uh, domain. I mean, it, it really has gone up by a lot. You look, I'm looking at a bunch of charts on my, my uh, screen right now, and, uh, a huge increase in investment funding recently. And also Blackstone, uh, one of our uh, you know, uh, patrons that supports our students here at UCF is opening up a huge office in Miami. Uh, and they're making a big investment in our educational efforts here in Florida as well in parallel with that. And I think that's going to make a huge difference having a, a 800 pound gorilla, you know, private equity company like that uh, anchored uh, in South Florida, uh, along with a lot of the really good things we've seen with the growth of the venture mm -hmm. capital community in Florida as well. I think it, from that standpoint, uh, from a risk capital investment standpoint, I think the future there looks pretty bright. And Carol Ann, if you would uh, agree with that or not, but um, mm -hmm. yeah, totally, totally. Because once that dynamic changes of the investor world nationally and even internationally, realizing that Florida is not a swampland, that yeah. there really are investable companies here, and and deals accelerate, it just it's picking up speed. It's not going to slow down anytime soon. How about the great resignation? One of the things that's puzzled me over the last year or so is where did all those people go? Caroline mentioned labor shortages that, that we're seeing now. Did, did, did a bunch of them decide to be entrepreneurs and start their own business? Is there any evidence of that? My first thought was fortunately not. Yeah. Um, but that's a true statement. I, 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 at least where I sit in the world, my little microcosm, I, I didn't see this sudden rush of people that all of a sudden decided to, to be an entrepreneur. I, we haven't had anybody show up at our door that hadn't already been thinking about it or hadn't already started on something. Caroline has a different take on the great resignation. We live in the, the era of the great resignation, right, for now. And I think that's just because people are now able to see what it's like being at home, but also what it's like uh, seeing other cultures, work cultures. I don't think it's because um, just because people want to work at home. I think it's because people just now can see that they were just in a sucky work culture, a sucky company culture. And now they can see, oh, there's other opportunities with these companies. I'm going to go there. And then finally, Changes in the fortunes of companies that are publicly traded. So right now, a lot of the tech companies who were the solution during the pandemic, because everybody was home, think the Netflix of the world or the meal delivery services of the world are kind of taking it on the chin. And a number of companies that specialize in experiences are having a good run. Is that likely to change the nature of entrepreneurship and what entrepreneurs look at over the next few years? Or do you also think that's sort of meaningless in this process? Are you asking change whether or not entrepreneurs consider going public? No, no. I'm asking whether or not it's going to encourage some forms of innovation rather innovation. than Innovation. Ah, oh, okay. 
There's a long-term trend. I don't know the exact numbers, but the, the 10 year churn mm. in the fortune 500, 100. it used to be like around maybe 30% would yeah. change over yeah. a decade. Yeah. Like yeah. Seventies and eights where now it's like 70%. Wow. Really? A lot of that's yeah. because of mergers right. and acquisitions and other yeah. stuff like that. It's not all that stuff just vaporizes, but uh, the, the nameplates at the top of the companies uh, changes a lot within a decade. So you're seeing a much more rapid churn mm -hmm. in membership in the you know, upper echelons of, of the corporate world, which to go back to a point Mike was making earlier, I mean, it really the, I think the overarching value of our, our entrepreneurship education efforts is really to help our students become professionally agile and to be able to uh, you know, move around from various kinds of startups or small companies or big companies, and then you know, hopefully playing a, a positive role there, and then maybe moving out of that, maybe having a, a, a side hustle. There's so many different ways I think our students are going to have to navigate their uh, career paths that are so different from folks mm -hmm. my age, certainly, mm -hmm. um, or had a much more kind of linear notion of what that might look like i think our students are going to be doing a lot more weaving and bobbing uh, yeah these windows going up and down like i was saying before yeah uh, trying to be able to sustain uh financially and uh personally you know successful career um and so i think a lot of things we the, you know if you think of entrepreneurship as a method you can apply to a lot of different kinds of problems i think that's one of the things we're trying to contribute to the world is to empower our students that way well if i were to summarize the one thing i've heard from this conversation that i think might have the most lasting impact was Cameron's comment about diffusion and that diffusion clearly excites